change things up a little bit on you today. So we don't, we got this whiteboard this week and if I got a new toy, I got to use it. But uh, we're going to explain why here in just a second. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. We've been in Galatians now. This is week number 7. And so we're, uh, we're not departing from this book for a little bit. Raise this guy up. Hey, um, I was just reading a moment ago in Psalms as I was standing out in the lobby and uh, as people were coming in, at Psalm 145, verse 4, let me read this to you um, from the um, Christian Standard Bible. It says, One generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. And I want to take a moment this morning before we get here into Galatians um, and brag on the Lord and what He's done these past couple weeks through the life of our church, which I'm I'm so excited about right now, I can't even see straight. Um, so first off, over the last like two weeks, for some reason, Jesus has opened up doors of opportunity that like we could have never imagined. We've had so many people come through the doors of our church the last two weeks during the week to just like sell us things. Um, we had a guy show up to sell us telephone service. I didn't know people still used landlines. And uh, so Joe and I took that as an opportunity. Man, we were to have a spiritual conversation with this guy, invite him to church, talk about his faith journey. We had another guy come to fix um, our exit signs. Again, so what we've learned is if you show up in our building, you're going to hear about the Lord and we're going to invite you to church. We were able to share with that guy. Um, we've had people next door that work with our friend Demetrius that we've been able to meet. We had one young lady that we invited to church. We went over there to, I don't remember what we were doing, just to go see the guys next door. And Joe and I are standing out there. You know, we're just in jeans, T-shirts. I had a flat bill hat on backwards, you know, like I didn't fit the role of pastor. And she comes running out and she goes, are you guys the pastors? And we're like, yeah. And she goes, that's so cool. It's like, like you don't know us apparently, you know. It was just awesome. We were able to actually take her next door to the Finding Hope Center, share the gospel with her using the tool I'm going to show you this morning. Um, so like just the doors of opportunity have been incredible. Yesterday we had our family fun day here. Uh, at the church and Finding Hope Center. We had a tube uh, slide, like an inflatable slide in this building that Joe and I borrowed it from another church in Hilliard. And uh, some of you were here to see that. Maybe you saw the photo online. These are 15-foot ceilings, I believe, and we thought it would fit, and it didn't. Um, so we were taking the slide down yesterday, and my wife was in here when Joe and I were folding it up, and she's like, what's all that white powder on the top of the slide? And Joe goes, that's ceiling, you know, because it was just <laughs> tucked up in there. It was about four feet too, too short. But uh, in that, what was exciting, guys, is so one of the things we've been trying to figure out is how do we take families that we've met through the Welcome Warehouse that are connected to Welcome Warehouse, which is a nonprofit we've worked with for years, how do we take those that come through the Finding Hope Center and connect them into community where hopefully we can then transition them into um, a small group of some kind where they can ask questions about the scriptures and learn the differences between what they believe in the Islamic faith and what we believe in the Christian faith, connecting them to 1040 Global, another ministry we support. And Family Fun Days were the first step in that. And so we had six families from Welcome Warehouse and from the Finding Hope Center that showed up here yesterday. Um, again, I would have never imagined, I don't, we'll probably have to cut this portion out of the radio um, edit, but I would have never imagined in all my life when we started this church that I'd be able to come to you and say, look, we had like 10 to 13 Muslims in our worship center yesterday with their kids having fun. Um, Jesus is the only one that could make that happen. Like that was not part of the plan when we started this church, but God opened the door for that. And our friends at 1040 Global, they were able to share, get phone numbers, invite these people over to their home to continue these conversations. I took two guys next door 
and I uh, saw a calendar for Ramadan in the back of their vehicle. I asked what it was, I knew what it was, but asked what it was, engaged them in conversation about the Islamic faith. Then we were able to take about five, 10 minutes and have a conversation about Jesus and security and salvation and how they can be certain of their eternal destiny. And they were receptive and they're gonna take me to the mosque with them in a few weeks to just see what they do. Right? And I, I just, I can't believe it, you know? And I told Joe last night, I came over from sharing with them. I said, dude, after I got done sharing with those guys about the Lord, like, I just wanted to run through the garage door, just straight through it. Give me a water balloon. I'm going to attack hell by myself. Like, I'm just ready to go. Here's the second cool thing. We set a, 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 a challenge out to our church a few weeks ago. We called it the Annie Armstrong Easter Offering. And uh, so I'm just bragging on the Lord. Psalm 145 here for a minute. So this is part of the message. We're going to praise Jesus for what he's done. And uh, we set a challenge out there. Um, if people were able to give above and beyond our regular offerings, where 100% was going to go back to church planting. Um, so again, collectively, Southern Baptist, there's 45,000 churches around the nation. And uh, we collectively work together to start churches for everyone everywhere across North America. And we didn't set a goal financially for our congregation. It was the first year we've ever participated in this. We've been recipients of the offering as a church plant, but we've never given back to it. And uh, I, in my mind, I was like, It'd be really cool if we could just send like a thousand bucks. That would be awesome to be able to send that. Uh, Joe sent me the number this morning. Here's what was pretty cool. So in my mind, I had the goal of a thousand dollars. We're going to send two thousand five hundred and fifty-seven dollars to help start new churches across North America, which is incredible. And you're like, Aaron, why does this matter? Let me show you six maps real quick. All right. So these are from the Southern Baptist Convention. Six maps. I want you to see how church planting is spreading in our denomination, and this is happening across Christian denominations. This is just us specifically. So in 2010, this is Phoenix, one of the largest cities in America. They only had three church plants in 2010 from our tribe. Look now, 2020, this is last year. This is because of the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. When we participate in this stuff, here's what happens. Here's another one from Philadelphia, so our friends to the east. Again, in Philly, just a couple church plants from our tribe. Look at the multiplication that's happening there. New churches, reaching people, sharing Jesus, changing communities. Here's another one. Washington, D.C., look at that. Absolutely insane. A place that desperately needs Jesus. A couple more here. Atlanta, again, one of those population-dense cities in all of America, and you can tell that by how they're starting churches, but only four in 2010, tons there. St. Louis, my friend Noah um, is the guy that kind of coordinates church planting in St. Louis, multiplying like crazy. And then here's my, my favorite one, Columbus. 2010, there are four of us. Look at Columbus now, and if you look right there, just north of Dublin, there we are. We're one of those, right? Jesus is doing that because of the faithful efforts of so many people around our nation, starting churches for everyone everywhere. And so uh, I'm a little excited to, to share this morning because, man, middle of a miracle, y'all. I'm telling you, somebody's going to have to tie me down because I'm just going to bust through the wall. I'm going to attack hell, give me a squirt gun, and we're going to get after it. Well, hey, Galatians chapter 2, if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. Week number seven of this series, God's Space. I'm going to show you something different here on the board in just a moment. Galatians chapter 2. We're going to read two verses today and really only look at a few words from those verses and pick this up next week as well. But Galatians 2, starting in verse 20, and we'll read through verse 21. Paul writes these words to the churches in Galatia. He said, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body... I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, and he gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, 
and this is a pretty convicting statement, then Christ died for nothing. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your word, God, for the privilege we have to gather around your word today. God, would you teach us as your church? Would you mold us and shape us and form us into the likeness of Jesus this morning? God, give us ears to hear directly from you today. God, would you soften our hearts, Lord? Anything that we may have, God, that's putting up a barrier between us and hearing from you, would you soften our hearts so that we can receive that word for you, from you, Lord? Not just hear it, Lord, but actually receive it. And God, would you give us the hands and feet to live out the truths of the gospel Monday through Saturday this week, taking Jesus with us everywhere we go? We love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. So I think, personally, that there's two kinds of people that you're going to find in this world. You're probably wondering, oh goodness, where's he going with this one? There's two kinds of people in this world, and this is a little lighthearted, so don't worry. There's two kinds of people. There's those who love roller coasters. See? And those who don't. We are small but mighty. Unashamedly, I'm here to tell you that I am part of that second group. I can't stand them. You see, for me, there's something unsettling, and I haven't been on a roller coaster, honestly, in probably a decade, because there's something unsettling for me, and if you're part of the second group, all six of us, you understand this, about that ascent to the top of the hill. There's something about the ascent to the top of the hill, and especially that first drop, and when you have to climb that hill, and you hear that dreaded sound. You all heard this before? And you climb up to the top of that hill, you arrive at the very top, and they do this to you. I think it's some psychological torture that they put us through at amusement parks. You get to the top of that hill, and they just pause there for a moment, don't they? And you get to the top of the hill after all that psychological like, torture that you've been through, and you're, you're sitting there at the top, and you have these incredible views. As you're looking around, you're like, I feel like I can breathe. Like, this is nice. And then what happens? as fast as you can, 70 miles plus down that hill, and you're questioning all of your life choices, right? You guys know this. You see, as I was thinking through where we've been so far in Galatians, knowing where we were going to land today in the next couple of weeks, and then where we're headed in the rest of this book, I, I really feel like the first couple of chapters of Galatians have really been like that ascent of the hill of a roller coaster, because really what Paul has done for us over these last six weeks is he's just been giving us a lot of backstory as to what was going on with these selection of churches, what was going on with the Judaizers, what they were trying to get the Galatians to believe about circumcision and the Mosaic law and so many things going on there. And Paul really gives this explanation like, all right, here's why I'm writing this letter to these churches and us reading this letter now. He's showing us here's why I had to write this thing. Here's what was going on with these people. In Galatians 2, verses 20 and 21 for us this morning are the top of the hill. Because these verses are going to allow us, I feel like, to pause and breathe for a second. I made the joke a couple weeks ago as we were reading through that first couple chapters of Galatians. Like, I never would have imagined, and I've been in ministry for like 12 years now, that in just six weeks I would have to say the word circumcision so much. Like, it's just, we've just been climbing this hill, and you're like, oh my gosh, are we ever going to get through this? This is so much going on here. But today, we're going to get to breathe a little bit. Because now that we've crested the top of the hill, 
Paul addresses again for us, but I think the most clear in all of this book, the question, how do I have a restored relationship with God? Again, we've said the past few weeks, and we've mentioned this several times, that is the most important question any human being can ask themselves. How do I have a restored relationship with God? And Paul shows us that today. He provides for us the explanation of the work of Jesus and what that leads us to now as we walk with Jesus. Then, when we get to chapter 3 here in a couple weeks, we're going to spend a couple weeks on these two verses. Paul is just going to make us go flying down the hill. He's going to get into the two covenants. He's going to get into Sarah and Hagar. He's going to get into the fruit of the Spirit and walking by the Spirit. And just so many things where it's going to feel like you're going down the hill of that roller coaster. It's like, I can't even breathe, Paul. Chill out. So much going on here. But today, I want us to breathe a little bit. And I want us to be reminded today as we sit here for a few moments, specifically in verse 20, of the gift that we have that's in salvation. I mean, if you're saved this morning... I mean, you're on the right side of history. You know that? If you're saved this morning, you have a relationship with the creator of the universe. Wow. If you're saved this morning, the God of the universe who used to only dwell in tents and temples now dwells inside of you and he dwells inside of me. My goodness. Like if you are saved this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, your eternal destiny is secure. If you're saved this morning, you don't have to wonder where you're going to spend eternity, whether you'll be in a place called heaven or hell. You don't have to wonder that because of what Jesus promised to you and I when he did on the cross. I could go on all day with this. If you're saved this morning, man, you're a blessed human being. And I want us to sit here with Paul in verse 20 here for just a few moments and marvel at the fact that God sought a relationship with you and me. That the God of the universe sought us out and saved us when we were lost and wandering, sheep without a shepherd. That the God of the universe showed compassion and mercy to you and me and invited us back into a relationship with him. And so let's, let's focus in on, on verse 20 specifically today. And then there's three points if you're a note taker. We're only going to look at one point today and we'll pick up the rest later. But first, let's look at the invitation. The invitation. We're looking at the very last part of verse 20 this morning. The very last part of verse 20, and Paul writes these words. He says, um, he says, who loved me? That's where we're starting here, but we're going to add Jesus' name there for clarity's sake because that's who he's talking about. So, so watch this. Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me. Let me say that to us one more time and, and marvel, marvel at the truth of these words. Jesus, who loved me and he gave himself for me. Friends, the entirety of what Paul talks about, the beginning of verse 20, the first two chapters of Galatians that we've already read, the entirety of why Paul is so passionate that the Galatians understand that salvation is found only in Jesus, that he wants us to be certain and to know that truth, flows from the truth found in those eight words. Let me say this again. Jesus loved me. When I was talking to my friends yesterday that were from a different faith background, they never mentioned the fact that God loved them. God was a boss they had to serve. This is what makes us different than other faith systems. Our our Bible teaches, we know this to be true, that our God loves us. No other religion can say that. Their God is a boss or a dictator that they must serve or they die. Our God says, no, 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 it doesn't work that way. I die, and then you choose to serve me because you love me. I loved you first. Now you love me. Jesus loved me, and then look at what happens. He gave himself for me. 
The ultimate expression of love, if you're married or you have children or even a close friend, you know that love ultimately expressed is done through sacrifice. You don't truly understand love until you've had to sacrifice for someone else. That's why love is a selfless act. We have to love other people. Jesus loved you and he gave himself for you. Friends, we probably heard a similar verse similar to this. John chapter 3, verse 16. Let me remind you of this. It says the exact same thing that Paul writes here. The Apostle John said it several years before. Uh, Jesus was interacting with a guy named Nicodemus under the cover of night. Nicodemus was a religious leader. He had spiritual questions. He wanted to understand what's the difference between religion and now what you're bringing with the kingdom of God. And what does Jesus tell him? For God loved the world. That's you. That's me. That's him. That's every human being, past, present, and future. That he did what? That he gave. What did Galatians 2.20? Jesus loved, so he gave. John 3.16, Jesus loved, God loved, so he gave himself. So that when we believe in him, we wouldn't perish but have eternal life. One of the most profound truths in Scripture that I can communicate to you today is here in Galatians 2.20, and it's this that the love of Jesus motivated the sacrifice of Jesus. Man, I would write that in the front of your Bible, put that on your mirror of your, your bathroom, put it on a post-it note in your car. That is one, the thing that separates us, that changes the game for all of us, friends, that love motivated sacrifice. That God's love for us was so deep and so profound that he was willing to sacrifice himself for us to secure us back into his family. That is unbelievable to me. But it begs the question, this is what I want to address today, why? Like, why did we need a sacrifice? Paul just states this as true here, that God loved me and he gave himself for me. But I want to make sure we understand the why behind this. Why did Jesus sacrifice himself? John 17 says that he willingly laid down his life for you and me. Why would Jesus do that? Why would Paul point us this direction? Why do we need to understand that love motivated sacrifice? Why did Jesus sacrifice himself for you and for me? Friends, this is the gospel. I want to share this with you this morning because I think this is going to be helpful um, for each one of us. So I was, um, a week or two ago, I can't remember, I was at some place and they made this statement. They said that 80% of churches in America have zero ongoing evangelism training for their church. Right, so it means 80% of churches in America, they have zero training on a regular basis to equip their people to share the gospel with their neighbors, their coworkers, and their family. 80%. And I was sitting in there with somebody from our church, and I was like, dang it. I was like, we've never equipped our church. We don't regularly equip our church to share the gospel. Um, now, we've used that phrase before, that if you're saved, you know enough of the gospel to tell somebody else. That's true. Right, but what good is Batman without his tool belt? Batman's got a whole tool belt full of stuff, but he uses different ones for different situations and scenarios. And so I told Pastor Joe, I said, I'm going to start leveraging opportunity when we get to places like this in the scriptures to use these opportunities to be able to share techniques and ways to share the gospel with other people. So we're going to communicate truth today from Galatians 2.20, but I want to give you a tool to share Jesus with your friends, neighbors, coworkers, and family so that you can do this. Now, here's a tool that you can use. You can either... You can share this in three minutes. I've been able to share this five times in two weeks with five different people. You can share this in three minutes. You can share this in 30 minutes. It's up to you. But I want to give you this tool to help somebody understand why did Jesus have to sacrifice himself for me? Why did he have to sacrifice himself for you? If you've got an ink pen, man, you're going to want to 
to do this. A little tool you can use using three circles. And I want to clearly, as clearly as I can, communicate the gospel to you today and why we need to sacrifice. The first thing that we need to understand is that God had a design for your life and my life. That you and I, Galatians chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, says that God created us in his image. It means that that's what separates us from the beasts of the earth, the beasts of the sea, and the beasts of the sky, is we're the only one of God's creation that were created in his image. One theologian once said, he said, it's the distinction between some creation and those that have the thumbprint of God upon their life. And because we were created in the image of God, it means that God has a design for the way that our lives are supposed to function. Let me tell you, did you know that God has a design for your marriage in a way that he wants it to function? God has a design for your parenting and rules and regulations and guidelines in which he wants it to function in. God has a design for human sexuality and the way that he wants us to function in the confines of how he's created us to exist. God has a design for our finances. You see, God in all capacities, God has a design for our lives. Here's another important one. God has a design for morality, right? Our nation right now is struggling to figure out what is right, wrong, moral, and not moral. (laughs) Found it. It's God's design. God designed us to function and live in a certain way. But the problem is, and this is what we've all struggled with, is a thing called sin. What is sin? 1 John chapter 2 says that sin is departing from God's design. It's where we may or may not understand how God created us and designed us to live, but instead we depart from that and we choose our own way. I don't want to live within the confines of God's design for human sexuality. I'm going to do my own thing instead. The Bible says that's sin. I don't want to live in the confines of God's design for human morality. I'm going to do my own thing instead. God says that's sin. We could go down the list of all of those things, but sin has separated us from God because we chose to depart from God's original design. What does that lead to? It leads to brokenness. I don't have to explain to you what brokenness is because each one of us in this room, we've experienced this brokenness. This brokenness may manifest itself through guilt. It may manifest itself through distance. It may manifest itself through so many various things, but we understand that we are broken people. I don't have to convince most folks that you're broken. And what caused our brokenness? Sin. Sin. Because not only are we separated from God because of our sin, But there's ramifications that we now endure, and we live in this state of brokenness. Uh, I think it was St. Augustine that said that there's now this God-shaped hole inside of our hearts that we are constantly trying to fill. There's a brokenness we all possess. So what do we naturally do? Well, the reality is, is that we're naturally selfish human beings. That's why we pursue sin over God's design. So we try to fill our brokenness with other things. Let me give you a few examples. Sometimes we try to fill our brokenness with addictions. These things are going to help me feel good. These are help me um, step out of the world. I have to self-medicate myself in order to deal with my brokenness. Sometimes we try to fill our brokenness with a relationship. A relationship of the opposite sex. In our culture, a relationship of the same sex now. What are we trying to do? We understand there's a gap in our heart that needs to be filled, and we're trying to fill it with anything and everything that we possibly can because we know that we're broken 
people. Sometimes we try to fill that brokenness with money. If I can just make more, get more, then I'll be happy. Happiness is found in the pursuit of that next dollar bill. I can't remember who the quote actually said it, but they asked one of the richest people on the planet one time, how much money would be enough money? He said, one more dollar. Because money is never going to satisfy the brokenness that we found in our hearts. Sometimes, let me give you a, a couple more. We try to fill our brokenness maybe with religion. What? How? God, I know I'm broken, so if I just do this, and I just do this, and I just do this, then will you and me will be good again, right? God, if I do this thing, if I do this thing, and I do this thing, then you and me are going to be good again, right? Sounds like the Galatians, doesn't it? If I do these things, then I can be right with God. We could go over so many things that lead to our brokenness, but the Bible is abundantly clear. None of these things will fix what is broken. What fixes it? The Bible calls this the good news. In Christian circles, we know this to be the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel says that the Son of God, Jesus, exited heaven 2,000 years ago for my sake and your sake. That Jesus lived the perfect life on earth for 33 years, ultimately crawled onto a cross because he was falsely accused of crimes he never committed, and he hung there as a criminal. And the most fascinating thing to me when I read through the gospel story here is that when Jesus was hanging on that cross, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he who knew no sin became sin for you and I. That this sin debt that we had incurred to a holy God was placed upon Jesus on a cross. 2 Peter, when Peter wrote about this event, Peter said that Jesus bore the weight of our sins on his shoulders when he hung there. That Jesus took this sin debt that we owed when he hung there on the cross. That's the gospel. But the gospel doesn't stop there. Because after Jesus died and gave up his last breath, the Bible says, they placed him into a borrowed tomb. In that borrowed tomb, Jesus' lifeless body laid there for three days. But on the third day, he did something known as resurrected. It means he came back from the dead. Why? Because he was God. And when Jesus came back from the dead, he was really doing a couple things for us. First, he was proving that his, he was God, that he was divine. He wasn't just another religious leader. No, no, no. He was God in the flesh. But also by resurrecting from the grave, this is good, he shows that he can forgive you of these sins. Why? Because he's the God whose relationship you severed with. He proved that when he resurrected. So the question has to, to be asked, how do I take what Jesus did here on the cross where he forgave this sin debt? How do I get that applied to me? If that's what's going to fix my brokenness, and it's not going to be in sex, it's not going to be in relationship, it's not going to be in addiction or religion, none of those will fix this. How do I get this to fix this? I'm so glad you asked today. You're group number six. The Bible gives us two words, the word repent and the word believe. You say, what does the word repent mean? If you didn't grow up in church circles, this might be an unfamiliar term to you. The word repent simply means to go, you were going this way and then you're going this way. That means I was walking this direction and I'm choosing to walk this direction. What do we repent of? We repent of this, this sin. God, I acknowledge the fact that I departed from your design. And Lord, I understand that that was sin and that severed my relationship with you. I don't want to do that anymore. Instead, I want to walk with you in the truth of the gospel. I want to be here with you. Then what do we do? We believe. Believe what? That Jesus did this. 
It's not only turning from sin and turning back to God, it's also believing that the gospel story is true. That by faith, we believe that Jesus stepped out of heaven onto earth for you and me. By faith, we believe that Jesus crawled onto a cross. By faith, we believe that the sin debt was placed upon him. By faith, we understand he died to pay for that sin debt. By faith, we understand that he came back from the dead. We have to believe these things. And then, whew, this is where it gets good, man. What happens? Two words, if you want to write these down. Restore and recover. You see, on the authority of God's word, what happens is when I repent and believe the gospel and what Jesus did for me, all of a sudden the Bible says that Jesus takes up residence in my heart. That Jesus, this God here, takes up residence in my life. And what does he do? First off, he restores my relationship with him. The relationship that was severed that separated me from God is now restored. That's pretty miraculous in and of itself. But what else does he do? He invites me to recover or pursue God's design. I get to pursue God's design for my life. I get to day by day walk with Jesus. And I say, Jesus, you know what? I left your design for morality, but Lord, I'm going to walk in that design now with you, not by myself. Lord, I left your design for sexuality, but I'm going to walk in that now. Lord, I left your design for how my finances should be handled, but I'm going to walk in that now. Lord, I'm not going to chase this, but I'm instead going to pursue you. And here's the beauty of the gospel. You're not going to get it right 100% of the time. But you've been forgiven already. And when you fall and you get knocked down and you mess up and you make those mistakes and you land there on your knees, you know what Jesus does? He gets down there with you. He wipes them off and he says, let's start from here. Let's keep going. Jesus will never take you back to where you were. He'll start with you from where you are. And he'll wipe your knees off and he'll say, let's keep going, bro. Let's go. We're going to keep pursuing God's design for your life. Friends, that's the gospel. That's a simple tool. I've been able to share this these past two weeks with folks literally in 30 seconds and in the span of like 10 minutes with people. It's one of the most easy tools that we have to share Jesus with people. Now, let's go back to Galatians. You're like, yeah, oh, he's not done yet. I'm almost done. Don't worry. What did Galatians 2.20 tell us there? Jesus, who loved me, gave himself for me, and invites me back into relationship with him. This verse is the pinnacle of this book. Paul wants us to see here, before he gets into the intricacies of the law and so many other things that we're going to see over the next several weeks, Paul gives us one last shot here. He says, do you get this? Are you certain? Galatians, do you understand? There's nothing you can do to heal your brokenness. It's not going to happen. It's only secured by Jesus. And until we get that right, the rest of life's not going to make sense. Friends, too often we pursue fixing our brokenness in so many of these things, and they're just going to continue to leave you void and empty and hopeless. And Paul wants us to see today Jesus loved you, and he gave himself for you. And that changes everything. One more Bible verse as I pray. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. 
If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. What is that? It's believing this. That because Jesus was God, He could do this for me and forgive my sin. And you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. There's our word there. What's it say? You will be saved. I'm not going to make any assumptions today. Have you made that decision in your life personally? Have you made that decision personally? Can you take me back to a time, season, day, place? I don't care when it is where you can confidently tell me, you say, Aaron, I know when I have repented of my sin and believed what Jesus did on the cross for me. I, can, I know when it happened. It happened sometime when I was a young child. Maybe some of you in here be like, no, I was 15 in a grocery store buying a, a box of Tic Tacs. I don't know. <laughs> can, you, can you tell me when it happened? When you try, started to follow Jesus? It's not because your grandpa was a pastor. It's not because you've been in a church. I heard somebody say one time, you know you can be standing in a garage and you're still not a car. <laughs> thought that was good. You can be in church and not be in Christ. You can be in church and not be a follower of Jesus. Just because your grandpa was a pastor doesn't mean you are. Just because your mama took you to church doesn't mean that you're actually a Christian. No, no, no. Each one of us has to make this decision to believe the gospel and have God restore his design for our lives. Have you ever done that? I'm going to pray for us. And friends, I don't care. I don't care. If, Joe, I don't care if you're the daggone worship leader in this church. If you're not certain today that you've been giving your life to Jesus, do it now. Do it like today. If you're watching online, you're listening on the radio, do it today. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for my friends. God, I thank you that they give me the privilege each week, each week to share these truths from your word. God, I pray for every person within the sound of my voice today, whether it be here in the room, whether it be via video, whether it be through the airwaves, that God, that they would be able to confidently say that they have repented of their sins and believed in Jesus as the Lord of their life and their Savior. And if they haven't and they're not sure if they have, if they're uncertain, to, uncertain about any of that, that right now, Lord, they would simply pray a prayer like this, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I've done things and made decisions that have separated me from you. But God, I also know what you did on that cross for me. Paying the sin debt that I owed to you. Securing eternal life for me. And Lord, I pray that you would come into my life and fill those broken places. Heal and restore my life to the original design you intended for it. God, thank you so much for each individual, adult and child alike, has heard your word here from Galatians 2 today. God, would you move in a mighty way in our church and in our city and around our nation for the kingdom of God's sake. We love you, Lord, and it's in your name we pray these things. Amen.